Welcome to the fifth edition of the Friday Roundup. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of gold in your investment portfolio, reverse mortgages, and all the benefits of breastfeeding. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. April Fools, guys. Yeah. Welcome to spring. <laughs> Jonathan couldn't resist. Yeah, he, uh, he, he's a big April Fools fan, so, uh, so <laughs> we had to toss that in there. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and I actually have my wife is due here, and I had to go to a breastfeeding class last night. So uh, <laughs> if I have to deal with it, so do y'all. <laughs> yeah, man. So you're a couple weeks away from the due date. Congratulations! It must be getting uh, pretty exciting over there. We are ready, man. That nursery is uh, good to go. I, if I have to assemble one more thing, I just, I'm not going to have any hair left. And I have a solid, I had a solid head of hair. It is, it's been fun though. It's super exciting. The room's painted, the nursery stuff's assembled. My wife did tell me that the crib was too low and that she's demanding that I raise it. So I may have one more assignment coming my way. But uh, yeah, I think I'm, the bags are packed. We're just, we're just in go mode. So when it's here, it's here and we're ready for it. Nice. Very, very cool. Yeah, as you know, I have uh, two two kids. They're not. It's funny in my head that I I always want to say young kids, but you know my youngest is almost five and a half now. It's it's amazing how how the time flies by. So you know, definitely, obviously, it's it's hard those first couple of weeks when you know they send you home with this child and you have no idea what you're doing. But you're gonna have to start worrying about dating soon. Just try to enjoy. It. What's that? You're gonna have to start worrying about dating soon. Oh yeah. Oh geez. Don't start. I don't have any hacks for you with that one, man. I got, I got absolutely nothing. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. We're not looking forward to that, but hopefully we got a, we got a couple years. So we'll see. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So life's good, man. Uh, April is going to be an awesome month. It's going to be a transformative month for me in, in many, many ways. So we're, we're, we're super excited about it. But this week, this past Monday, we dropped our uh, we we dipped our first toe into the real estate world with uh, Chad Carson, and uh, it was an awesome episode. And it was on house hacking. So if y'all haven't listened to it yet, I'm sure you have. But if you haven't, that is one to check out. I mean, there's different like pillars in the Fi community that we rely on. We always talk about index investing, frugal living as a vehicle to you know, get to FI and Brad and I are big fans of travel rewards, using that as a way to decrease expenses. And just, so just doing everything a little bit smarter. We've started the conversation about college hacking, uh, how to, you know, get that degree without going six figures in debt. And this particular conversation is another pillar that so many people that have achieved financial independence have used. And it's probably one of the scariest ones, you know, because there's so many unknowns about it. And one of the things that Brad and I have really committed ourselves to is to try to simplify this just a little bit. But there's someone out there that I think that has already done that, you know, extremely well. And all we really have to do is just point you to him. And that's Chad Carson. And his website at coachcarson.com is absolutely fantastic. And he is just as good on a podcast as he is with his own writing, extremely relatable, extremely understandable. 
ABCs it for you, you know, gives you the 101, the high level and the low level picture. And I figure, I feel like if you spend enough time with him and with his content, you're going to be able to go and take action with that. I, I know that's how I felt after finishing that conversation. Yeah, same here for sure. I I thought, you know, he was the perfect co-host. And, you know, that's how we like to to view our quote unquote guests as as co-hosts. You know, yeah. this is this is a conversation. And and yeah, he just did a, a really wonderful job. He's just, you know, I've I've had the good fortune of meeting him and just a really wonderful guy. I mean, honestly, he's just a down to earth guy. Like, you know, it, it's funny because I didn't know he was a, a big time D one Clemson football player, like until I uh, read the article after he was in the on the Mad Finds podcast. Uh, there was an article about like you know he was up I think for like the Butkus Award as like the nation's best linebacker. Like wow. I mean he was like a fantastic you know D one college football player and like I mean not to overly stereotype but like you would think someone like that would you know even years later would it's, it's in some way shape or form you know show that you know maybe right. pompous or something but like I would have never guessed in a million years. I mean. Uh, and, you know, again, that's kind of silly and I don't, I don't generally like to stereotype, but like, I mean, geez, the most unassuming guy, just, just down to earth. And, you know, one of his quotes was, uh, you know, keep it super simple and try to do the fundamentals well. And he said that, you know, he kind of learned that from, from football actually. And, and, you know, that's just such a great life lesson, not just, not just a, a real estate lesson or a financial independence or personal finance lesson, but, but just a life lesson, you know, keep it simple. Life does not have to be complicated. And, you know, if you do those fundamentals well and you show up day after day and put the hard work in, you know, thing, good things are going to happen. You know, they, it might not be everybody looks for this instant gratification in life. And, you know, the good things might not happen. You know, if you want to start working out and have a, you know, six pack abs or something ridiculous like that, like it's not going to happen in a week. You know, I can bet you that it's probably going to happen in three to five years or maybe less if you really dedicate yourself. But, but if you think it's going to happen in a week or two and you get frustrated and give up, well, I mean, you were always bound to fail. And that's, you know, a silly example, obviously, but, but I mean, it's just like, it's a microcosm for life is, you know, you do the fundamentals well, you show up week after week, month after month. And I mean, good things are going to happen to you. And, you know, what Chad said about real estate, which I think is also very relatable is, is, you know, do the extra effort that the other guy is not doing, you know, I mean, he's literally out there walking neighborhoods on a Saturday morning with his kids for hours upon hours, you know, just in the off chance of, of just meeting somebody, having a conversation and, you know, not doing it in a skeevy or contrived manner, but just being like just a genuinely nice person and, and just trying to learn about a community. Like to me, that was like such an eye opening comment by him that like, most people, right, Jonathan, like they're, they're not going to go out and spend five hours on a Saturday week after week to, to learn things about different communities. They're just not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I try to think about with each art, with, with each podcast that we're doing, especially the ones that are just, it's not philosophy, but it's like action driven, like do these one, two, three, four steps. Who is this perfect for? And with this particular one, and I'm not talking about real estate in general, I'm talking specifically about house hacking. Um, this, there's something here, man. I mean, there's like in our community where you are a DIY person, you're learning these new skills and you're figuring out how to incorporate it in your life. And maybe you're, you're in this kind of range where you're 18 to 30, somewhere in that range, or maybe you have a kid and that's going to college, you know, something like that. Like, I told both my brothers, you have to go read this article. You have to listen to this podcast. 
I have another friend, you know, that's single and kind of in this transition phase. And I said, you know, when, and look, starting to look for renting a new home or purchasing a new home, this is the sort of thing that can change your entire financial future. It, it completely can change the trajectory of, of where you're going. And if you're starting from scratch, I mean, totally starting from scratch and you're open to anything and you're just looking for a lever that you can pull to change your, your financial dynamic, this is it, man. I mean, this has got to be it. Yeah, without question. And, and it's, it's another kind of unconventional choice, which I think is, is kind of what, what I like to view FI as. You know, it's, it's not difficult choices. It's not like extreme choices. Nothing that we've talked about in our, you know, 20 plus episodes now is, in, in my opinion, is extreme. I, I just don't view it that way. It's it's just thinking about a problem differently, thinking about the world a little bit differently. And, you know, if you saw a picture of Chad's first house hack, which you can, we'll link up in the show notes and it's, uh, it'll be choosefi.com forward slash FR005. But yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll link to his, his uh, house hacking article. I mean, that house was hideous. Honestly, most people would look at it and run as far and as fast as they possibly could. But Chad saw gold there, you know, and it, and that first house hack propelled him to, you know, he now has 90 rentals, which is I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Like it's that absolutely is a large scale, man. Yeah. No, I mean, that is that is no joke. I mean, he's built himself, you know, quite the empire. And and I mean, it starts with one thing. It starts with one unconventional choice. Right. And like and that's how I view Phi. I mean. It's just, again, not to beat a dead horse here, but just thinking a little bit differently. And, you know, that's something I want to talk to you about later. You know, since you you posed a, a difficult question to me last time on on the, you know, paying off the mortgages, you know, I'd love to hear, like, if someone came to you and said, you know, hey, Jonathan, describe what is financial independence? How would you describe it for me? What are the pillars? You know, how would you describe that? And, uh, you know, we could talk about that now or, or we could, you know, punt that for, for later in the episode. But but, you know, to me, it's 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 making a couple of right choices and, you know, where you live and your housing is certainly one of them. You know, your car is another, you know, your cell phone, not spending as, as, as minuscule as that sounds like not spending 150 bucks a month, but spending 20 on project Fi or Republic wireless and, you know, food and not, you know, wasting tons of money going out to eat. You know, it's now listen to what you've just said and then think about the shows that we've done. Like that's what we've been unpacking. I'm I'm literally answering that every single week with you with how we're going through each individual lever that we've pulled and ones that we want to pull and ones that we're working towards. I mean, when we talk about the journey, I love our I love our logo, man. I've loved it. I've loved it from like the first conception, you know, and then it kind of kept getting better and better and better. But you're on this journey and you got to take a first step and then another. And we're literally walking through every single lever that we can think of to get there and then get there faster. I mean, this is what it looks like when you go and you talk to people at these different camps that have achieved it. This is what they did. Now, did they do everything that we're talking about? No, probably not. But in one shape or form, these are the levers that they pulled. And when you get enough of them down, the the, the journey writes itself. You're, you get there. Yeah, no, I hear you. And and yeah, I love that logo as well because it is that choice. You know, it's it's making a series of of little choices, but these little choices add up you know, over time, they really do. And, you know, it's funny because that, that's been on my mind since this past weekend, we were hanging out with some of our friends at, you know, one of the the parks here in Richmond and uh, just walking around enjoying the day. And, you know, somehow the the topic of this new podcast came up and, you know, I, th- this friend of mine is, is very financially astute and, you know, I knew it would be a, a, you know, something that he was actually interested in and he was, you know, asking questions and I was really trying to 
to unpack it. And, you know, when it comes to the question of how are you saving 50 to 70% of your, of your income, you know, it, it's hard. Like, it's funny because I was trying to answer it and, and I was just coming back to these couple of things, but it's hard to convey that without like paper and pencil of saying like, you know, just these couple little choices and maybe, you know, five to 10 of these little choices really do make the difference between saving five to 10% of your income and 50 to 70%, you know, yeah. but, but, it, but it, like, I almost found myself stumbling and being like, wow, am I a, a bozo? Like not being able to explain this properly when I'm here, you know, on a podcast to many, many thousands of people, you know, multiple times a week trying to convey this, but, but, you know, it, it's hard to unpack to someone who has, has no concept of it. Because and, you're and, you know, trying to, you're trying to basically unpack your, what you're trying to do there is, is even beyond the scope of what we're doing here, because you're trying to then give them all the levers in a five minute elevator speech, right. which is impossible. Uh, it's impossible, you know, and, and there's no, not even a single article can really do that. You would check out after the first 5,000 words, it's a book, <laughs> but we're giving you an audiobook, but we're giving you a live version of the audiobook, and we're living it out in front of you. And yeah, it, it would be difficult to, to, to show all the things that just every day, you know, normal Americans do that's just stupid with money. Right. And then you just make a few smart decisions. And what are those smart decisions? Well, it might be hard for me to piece it together to you in 45 seconds, but I can unpack it one at a time and I can create a big picture and a little picture and we can go into depth onto each one of these. And yeah, can you imagine a scenario though where you're 25 years old and your first home, your rent is either free or maybe you're only paying $200 a month and everybody else is paying down your mortgage for you and you're getting all this experience as a landlord and for 10 years of your life or five years of your life, you have no mortgage payments going out the door essentially. And then at the end of that, because of all the renovations and things that you've put in, you're either able to sell it for profit and keep all that money tax free, or you're able to get out of the unit that you were renting. And now you're bringing an extra five or $600 a month. And when you move into your next place, you've basically created 600 to $1,000 a month or more and just income for life. It's there for perpetuity. I mean, that is just that is a game changer, but that's a single game changer. And you don't need to necessarily do that one, but you can, you can pick, you know, you can pick and choose these and you can make your own picture. And I just think that's the power of, of the framework that we're trying to create the story that you got to, that we're trying to create. You don't have to do all of these different things, but this is viable. You know, this is totally viable. Now is Brad going to take his family, you know, of, of four and get them to go move into a fourplex and start from scratch and do all these. Well, I would say probably not. That's probably not going to be, that's not going to be the lever he chooses to pull. But w would I encourage everybody I know, including my siblings, you know, as they're single, they're just starting out, they're just now looking into getting their first home and their options are either picking, you know, the cookie cutter condo with the homeowners association fees, or the second option is to find a triplex, duplex, or quad and do something like this. Do you know, you realize the difference in their, in their 20 or 30 year outlook with that one choice. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, there's, uh, there, there's no comparison, right? No, it's, it's the biggest game changer possible for, for someone in that boat. There's, there's no question about it. I mean, it, it would be remarkable, right? Because that is the biggest line item in people's budget is, is housing. And yeah, I mean, if you could cut that down to essentially nothing in your early twenties, I mean, that is, that's a true multi-million dollar game changer over, a 40 year life and, you know, investing life. I mean, that's, it, it is as big a game changer as you can come up with. And, and, you know, it's funny cause I was, 
having that conversation with my wife, Laura, precisely this morning, actually, before we started recording is, you know, she listened to the episode yesterday and, you know, she was like, you know, this wouldn't really work for us, but that would have been something cool to think about, you know, before we had kids. And, and I think maybe we're a little too conservative or, or snobby or something, you know, I don't think of myself as a snob by any means, but you know, about like the precise area we live in and the school district we live in and, and such. And, you know, there are people in the fight community, like, like Justin from root of good, who I think in his article, he said, you know, they went out of their way to not pick the, the top school district in the area. And, and, you know, I, like I'm, that was something we probably should have asked him about. Cause I was, I was curious about it, but, uh, when we get him on a second time, maybe we can, but, uh, you know, if we were a little more open about that, which we probably should be, uh, you know, we could do this or we could live in a much lower cost of living area, even within the Richmond area. And, uh, you know, it's something that I think, you know, maybe we didn't make that choice in our twenties, but because honestly, we weren't aware of it. I didn't know anything about this house hacking, but gosh, if I could go back, it would be such a cool, a cool thing to do. And I mean, to, to pay, pay absolutely nothing on your, in your mortgage every month or your rent is, I mean, again, it's just a game changer. And it also strikes me that this is another pillar for second generation fire. Um, you know, me and you didn't know any of this stuff when we were in our teens and our twenties. But and also we were starting from scratch or in debt when we were in our 18s or 20s. But if you get yourself into a position where not only are you, are you not in debt, but you have a six figure or se- you know six or seven figure portfolio, and and now your kids are coming up through the pipeline. And I know there's some very mixed feelings about setting your kids up or leaving them an inheritance. And I'm not telling you what you have to do there. But even for the people that are talking about not leaving their kids an inheritance, I would imagine that there will be they will be imparting to them these ideas to help them get started and make these smart financial choices and you know if 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 my son is 17 18 20 you know we're 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 starting to think about what's that first home going to look like and we're thinking well you could either stay at home to save money right or you know you're a mature person that's really demonstrated that you've you know figured a lot of this stuff out uh, maybe we start looking into how we can set you up with your own house hack. And now I get to kind of live it through you to some degree and help coach you through this process and get you set up with that first home. And maybe that single decision is enough for you to to just, you know, race toward the five finish line on your own without needing any of, you know, the portfolio that, that the first generation built. Uh, I, and I can just see that. I think that that conversation, whatever it ends up looking like, I have no idea what that conversation is going to look like. I mean, I'm I'm not even there yet at the door, but I'm about to, you know, it's going to be a reality soon. So the next, you know, 20 years of my life in some shape or form, are we thinking, what is that kind of conversation going to look like with my son? How am I going to tee him up for that? And I guarantee you house hacking will be on my radar as, you know, he approaches his 20s. It's just, it will be. It, it, there's no way for me to avoid it. It takes up a solid portion of my free thoughts now when it comes to how can you just supercharge the path to fi yeah i mean that would help him with a lot of maturity i mean literally being a landlord right i mean he'd be around his his tenants he would put some sweat equity into fixing the place up i mean that's like that would, that gives a lot of life lessons as well not only on the financial side but uh you know i know just just kind of pivoting to like my own my own life and like the couple couple decisions that we made that that really helped us on the path to FI are, are both real estate related actually. And, uh, you know, I know you kind of actually mentioned this as, as the other option, but you know, I, I credit my parents letting me live at home after college for free. 
as one of like the real game changers in, in my financial life. I mean, I was able, I lived at home while I was working, you know, for one of the big accounting firms on Long Island. Uh, I lived at home for two and a half years. And I mean, I was able to essentially save just about every single dollar I made and just stock away, you know, right. I, I forget the exact number, but it was, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, certainly. And, you know, that helped me then, you know, propel my entire financial life. I mean, if I was out on my own, you know, in a thousand plus dollar, you know, apartment, then, I mean, I w just simply would not have had that money. And, yeah. you know, that was a decision that a lot of my friends made to, to live on their own and, you know, be these mature adults and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, this is such a game changer and, and I'm very happy with my 22 year old self that I had the presence of mind to, to do that, that's, to live at that's home. That's awesome. And I would totally be open to that, you know, because in, in our community or in our fire, you know, mentality, there's, you know, we don't think about boomerang children, right? Where this idea where you go out, you get your $60,000 education, all financed and loans, and then you can't find a job. And so, you know, you're just, you got nothing. So you come back to the house and, and there's no real plan. There's this indecision. I think with what you're talking about, coming back to home is a lever that you can then pull again to supercharge it. I mean, that's why the second generation fire, that's the conversation, man. That, that's gotta be it. I mean, how, what does it look like when the silver spoon becomes unnecessary and instead of that you're just you're just raising these kids that have all this knowledge that you didn't figure out until your 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 late 30s and 40s and you figured it out early compared to your peers right but that's when you figured it out but now you're you're raising them in a way that that shows them what that other picture looks like and you're helping them make those decisions or choose those those line items that can just have such impact on their financial future at a younger age i, I hope that I'm not just talking out there. Nothing's going to happen with this. I hope that that is actually something that I can do. It certainly helps when we grow this community, when we make this idea more mainstream, because you certainly are fighting the tide of, you know, materialism and marketing that's being pumped at you from every single media outlet that's out there. Yeah. And again, it's, it's about thinking a little differently. Like, you, you know, you mentioned the, the boomerang kids and, you know, a lot of people in popular culture think, you know, that's such a, a negative thing. And, you know, kids are just being lazy and, you know, all this like kids these days, you know, kind of nonsense, but like, it's again, it's just reframing it. If you look at that, like you said, as, as a lever to pull, to, to help your kids succeed in life, then, I mean, they can be financially responsible and living at home. They don't, they don't, need to be on their own paying bills. I mean, if they can, if my kids can show me they're at home and they're saving, doing all the right things and saving money. And, you know, that's, that's a huge win for me. I don't need them to come back from college and, you know, I'd love them to be here. You know I mean? Yeah. It, that would be fantastic. And, you know, just, I, I know I alluded to this in a, in a prior podcast is like my brother was the perfect example of, you know, somebody that could be viewed as like, you know, a quote unquote negative boomerang kid, you know, after he graduated college, I mean, he, you know, he went to Tufts University, which is like a top, you know, 25 school in the country. He was an honors graduate, came home and was waiting tables for a couple of years because, you know, he just didn't, he didn't have a direction then. But, and, uh, you know, most people would look at that as a negative, but he was living at home, not paying anything in expense at that point. And while, yeah, he was waiting tables, he was saving thousands upon thousands of dollars and ultimately tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, that was a game changer for him. So, you know, well, again, that could be looked at as a negative thing. He turned it into a big positive and that helped, 
him springboard his, you know, himself into a very successful life and, you know, enabled him to buy a house when he moved down here to Richmond. And, you know, it's just all these positive things happened. And, you know, he now has a career and he's, you know, set and, and, you know, that was just a, a little blip, but it wasn't a negative blip again, because, because he, he was smart, you know, and, and like I said, in the other podcast, whereas there are all of these executives who are driving around in BMWs and in their McMansions and not saving money, those people are viewed as successes in life, which to me is just such a silly thing. Like if you're not saving money, in my opinion, like you're really not that successful, especially when, when you have a, a decent income, it's just like, that's just not someone I look at as a success. It really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally valid points. And, and, and I love hearing your perspective on it. Okay. So like I told y'all, we, we kind of like to open up these doors for conversation and then we never just stop and move on, especially when we feel like we haven't reached the end and how could you ever possibly reach the end? Now, if you want more content uh, on real estate, you know, go to, go to coachcarson.com, sign up for his email list. We've told you before how fantastic it is. You will not regret it. It's a, it's a phenomenal email list. Brad and I are not done with real estate. Uh, we are going to be tiptoeing into this. We, we realize how powerful of a lever real estate is as you pursue financial independence. I think one of the things that we believe in a similar manner to, to Chad is that it is a vehicle to get us to financial independence. We're not interested in owning the Empire State Building. You know, we're not trying to get Trump Towers. Uh, what we are trying to do is we're trying to explore all the different levers that you can pull to hit financial independence for your family. And so one of the things that we've decided to do is actually start building a real estate team. Uh, and we've kind of got an outlay of what that's going to look like. And we're going to start doing this as we approach 2018 and 2019, really get that up and rolling. And we're going to be bringing people on to help us help coach us through that process. Specifically, I mean, Coach Carson has agreed to come back, you know, and, and kind of help mentor us through this process. He's already gone to the end and figured out. And we think there's real value in showing you what it looks like in the process. And so, you know, we're talking a little bit of everything, a little bit of flipping, a little bit of of passive income just through rental properties. Um, we're going to kind of try to explore it all and see how it fits, you know, our own lives and what we want to do. And we're going to get into it slowly. And, and our idea is start from scratch, document it as we go, show you what we're doing, show you where we do it wrong and where we do it right. Get people to come in that can mentor us through the process and show us how to, you know, speed up the learning curve and everything we're doing, we're, we're sharing with you so you can kind of live it with us. And also if you're doing it along with us, because one of the things that you tell us over and over again, and we love it. I mean, this is the perfect feedback. You know, I've heard other people talking about it, but with the way y'all present it, I'm actually able to take action. And I did this, this, and this. I mean, that is the best emails that we get. I mean, really, those are the ones I show to my wife every time. And let her read that because it adds value to my day. Uh, but that's what we want to keep doing. So we're going to go out and do X, Y, and Z in real estate. And then we're going to present it to you. And then if we fail on something, we're going to go out and find someone and have them help us figure out why and how we can do it better, that sort of thing. So this is all coming. When you sign up for our email list and you tell us you're specifically interested in real estate information, um, I realize that you signed up for that maybe already and haven't gotten an email about it. It's because that's something that's coming, uh, but we're still figuring out what that structure looks like and how to best present it. So that's going to be probably more towards the end of 2017. But if you indicated that's something you're interested in, we got you and we'll be keeping you in the loop on that as well as obviously on the podcast as we go forward. So uh, we actually have some other guests that have kind of are in our radar that are telling us they would like to come on and present some content in this space as well. So, uh, you know, this is not going to become a pure real estate show, but we do obviously recognize what a powerful lever it is. So we are going to 
be including that just like we do many of the other contents. It'll be on a somewhat recurring basis over the next several years. And I mean, I know I'm excited about that. How about you, Brad? Yeah, without question. I mean, it's something that, again, I've, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times. I, I know very little about real estate investing, but it's something that that I'm open to. Uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's something that that scares me a good bit. Yeah, but, <laughs> it scares but, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to do it the right way. I think we yeah. can if we between, you know, instead of it just being your single perspective, you know, and, and you make the decision and you're the only one that can be held accountable for it, you know? And so when you're right, you're right. But when you're wrong, you have no one else to bounce it off of. I'm hoping that if we kind of, if we build this team out and we get these mentors to coach us through it, we can do it and maximize the the reward and minimize the risk, or at least make it a reasonable amount of risk, if that makes sense. So I'm excited to be doing it with you because I think that you are way more skeptical about deals <laughs> in general than I am. And, and I think that we'll make a good balance between being very gung-ho and very number-oriented. So um, hopefully we'll be able to nip the analysis paralysis in the bud with the, with the two of us working on it. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Okay. So this brings me to one other quick thing. And, and this is just how choose FI works and our audience. Y'all need to be aware of this so that you can participate. We know that y'all are interested in making this a community. That's what we want. We've said that from the beginning. And one of the things that we have been saying is that we want and need your input. And one of the things that we've been teasing is that at a certain point, we're going to get to the place where you are going to be able to actually leave us a voicemail, a voicemail feedback, and it'll, it'll get played on the show, um, especially if it adds to the adds to the content that we're trying to present. So there's a couple things to that one is that right now we have 45 written reviews on iTunes. We told you, and this is from the very beginning, once we get to 50 written reviews, the voicemail feature is getting added to the webpage. So you're right there at the door. If you've been wanting to do it, but haven't quite pulled the trigger, this is your week. Go pull the trigger. Leave us a written review on iTunes. Go to choosefi.com slash iTunes. It'll take you straight to our iTunes page. Alternatively, you can just go to iTunes and search for choosefi, one word, and then just go to reviews and then just write us a short, you know, written review. Obviously, you know, that is the number one way that you can help us right now. We're not asking you to send us donations. We're not asking you to listen to our sponsors at this point, you know, but right now, this is just the number one way that you can say thank you for putting this content together. But on top of that, this is what we've been telling you. We want to get your input on the show. We know, frankly, it scares me sometimes how smart our, our audience is because you send me emails and I have to spend time researching it because I'm like, they are ahead of me in many cases. And I don't want to, I want to make sure that I'm adding value to the content that you already have locked down. And so Brad and I, you know, we take what we're saying on the show very seriously. Well, you know, not seriously as in we hold ourselves up, but seriously as in we want to present good, accurate information to the best of our abilities. And so y'all are really, really smart. And we've obviously picked up on that. And we look forward to getting your input on the show. We know it adds value. So please, please consider going onto iTunes, leaving us a written review, and we would love to add that voicemail feature. And here's how it'll work. Once it's set up, if you send us a written comment on a Monday after the show drops immediately, you need to send it to us that Monday or you leave us a voicemail that Monday. If you get it to us the same day the Monday episode drops, we record this Tuesday morning. This is being recorded Tuesday in the morning. So you got to get it to us on Monday. But if you do that anytime on Monday, there is a solid chance that your comment or or message is going to be included on that Friday episode. And how much value does that add to our community when they have these different perspectives and feedbacks and case studies, all these other things? So I hope that y'all get as excited about that idea of crowdsourcing the show as Brad and I do. But we need your help with that. We need you to, to help first by giving us the written review and second by leaving us that feedback 
on Monday, and it'll be a big deal. So let me just go ahead and segue into this. This last week, we did get a significant number of iTunes reviews, and I'm just going to read just a couple of them. Uh, Ken907 says, this is my favorite podcast for learning about frugal living, intentional spending, smart investing, and travel hacking. Brad and Jonathan have really nailed it. I look forward to learning something new every episode. Keep it up. And Stegan says, this podcast delivers great content from all around the FI community. One great thing about this show is the challenges that both guys go through in their own journey and the thoughts behind their decisions. Choose FI doesn't present only one way to accomplish your goals, but how so many others are doing it their way, including listener feedback. Great stuff, guys. All right. The Book Babe says, I love this podcast. Jonathan and Brad are so authentic, humble, and helpful. There's not a lot of judgment on this podcast just steps that can help you get closer to Fi. I love that they produce two podcasts a week too. This podcast can help keep you on track. And Jeff says, I'm new to the fire world, but read the classic Your Money or Your Life years ago and had no idea that those ideas were taken up by a whole host of great financial minds and people looking to push towards financial independence. The Choose Fi show is easily the best out there for these concepts. And I've already made significant changes to my strategies, including fully funding our tax-deferred savings, and moving my IRA funds to Vanguard. More than that, Brad and Jonathan are very personable and are great at conveying these concepts in a user-friendly and congenial manner. I'm always happy to see their new podcasts come up in my feed and look forward to many more. Yeah, that's just, that's really great feedback. We, you know, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. And, and to hear that people are taking action is just, it's just the most gratifying thing for, for Jonathan and I. So thank you very much. And fire is catching on, man. I mean, this month we're probably going to hit or come close to hit 50,000 downloads. So essentially what in our third month of recording, we're about to hit 50,000 downloads in almost, I don't know how many countries there are in the world. So I'm not even going to ask you, I'm going to let you slide and (laughs) pretend that you do know, but I mean, literally over 80 countries, this, this podcast is being listened to. And so uh, I hope that we're able to convey some, some knowledge that is not just, you know, American centric. I know a lot of the core stuff that we talk about, everybody should be able to apply. And I know obviously with some of the Vanguard stuff, um, that is kind of America centric, but hopefully you will be able to grab what the, the piece of that that you can use, you know, in your particular country. And as we come up with different resources for different place places, we'll, we'll try to share those with you as best you can. I think it will help as this becomes community centered, because obviously, you know, as someone that lives in Virginia, I don't spend a lot of time studying uh, Canadian investment techniques. And, 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 you know, I'm sorry, but uh, but I would love to obviously be able to provide you all a place that you can you can find information that you'd find helpful. And I think a lot of the core of this show, including even index investing, uh, should should be very, very helpful for you. So Brad and I very, very much want to be open to feedback and even, you know, criticism uh, when there when there is some and we try to analyze it and see, you know, is that valid? Is there something that maybe we didn't do right or that we should do better? You know, I don't I don't really have an ego. I'm very proud of what we're producing here, but I don't I'm okay to be wrong and then I don't mind changing my opinion on something if we if we see something that we need to change. Uh, but just to give, I guess, a shout out, I became aware that we'd been mentioned on the internet on libertarian investments. So I guess give you a shout out here. Uh, he says, I recently listened to a podcast episode of Radical Personal Finance. In this episode, there were two guests talking about financial independence. Uh, the two guests have their own podcast called Choose FI. 
One of the guests was talking about how he paid down a big student debt in the six figures and casually acknowledged that it's higher than average income help. Luckily, the host of the show, Joshua, stopped him and basically said that having a higher income is a big piece of the puzzle in paying down debt and or achieving financial independence. It's something that some may have taken for granted. In the podcast episode I referenced above, there was another throwaway line by the guest. He said there are better ways to earn a six-figure income without going into debt. I wish the host had asked him his thoughts on this. It's interesting to get uh, someone's take on how to earn a six-figure income without college, considering that the large majority of people are not earning this much. So I think this kind of is a nice conversation. Um, you know, I'm trying to decide, is he just wrong? Is that what we said? You know, I, I didn't go back and re-listen to the episode again. I know it was kind of on the fly, but I think that there's a couple things there that I just wanted to touch on. One was the first part about how having a higher than average income help pay down big student debt. Totally true. Totally true. And hopefully you did not go into six figures of student loan debt to get a job that paid, you know, 40 grand a year. Um, I kind of knew the math, you know, before I went into my, my degree, um, I knew that I was getting up with six figures in debt and I knew that I would earn a six figure income. Having said that, there are many of my peers, uh, that graduated the exact same time as me that have, you know, 200 plus thousand dollars in student loan debt, um, you know, five years out of school. And so, you know, my choice was, you know, absolutely play the defense first, crush my expenses, send out every extra dollar to student loans. And I don't want to, you know, marginalize that. It was hard. It was not fun. Um, and I'm almost done. And so I think probably I always have a more optimistic spin and it's more, you know, take the circumstances that you've been handed and then figure out how to optimize them. And, you know, if you do that, then ultimately down the road, you're going to win. So I don't have a whole lot more to add on to that. Yeah. Obviously it's easier to pay down debt if you have a big, uh, if you have a big income. So you know, yeah, you're right about that. The other one was, uh, he says, I wish the, you know, he talks about how we had mentioned that there are, e- there are better ways to earn a six figure income without going into debt. I wish the host had asked him his thoughts on this. It's interesting to get someone's take on how to earn a six figure income without college, considering that the major large majority of people are not earning this much. So this one, I think there's more to actually talk about. Um, I think what y'all have seen Brad and I discuss over the last 20 minutes, over the last 19 episodes is just hammering all these levers that you can pull to first crush your expenses. But then now we're getting into the cool, you know, really cool stuff, how to play offense, how to increase your income. And so there's a couple things that come to mind. You know, you don't necessarily need to have one person that earns six figures. You could just have two people to earn 50,000, you know, a married couple each making 50,000. There's a hundred grand a year. I think it works, right? I mean, I don't think that making a hundred grand between two people is something that that's that complicated. Now I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but just at the most basic level, you know, that that's a reasonable situation. Am I right, Brad? Yeah, I think without a doubt. I mean, you know, obviously there are many millions of people that that aren't making $50,000 salaries each. But I think that that is at least reasonable for, you know, a middle class family to have, you know, let's just say on average, you know, two $50,000 a year uh, salaries. Like, I mean, I don't think that's that's snobbish of, of us or, you know, extraordinary. So, you know, I mean. Obviously, it's harder to get to FI with with a low income, you know, an extraordinarily low income. But, you know, like Jonathan said, that that's not unrealistic. And I, I think this is a very, very valid comment. And, you know, I, I love being challenged by this kind of stuff. And, you know, just one thing that, that stuck out to me was, you know, they said it is interesting to get someone's take on how to earn a six figure income without college. And, and, and I don't think that's what Jonathan was saying at all. I think he was saying without going into $168,000 worth of debt. And I think that's, that's an important distinction. You know, Jonathan obviously knew he was going to have 
a pretty high salary. And, you know, he at that point made the decision that it was worth it to to go into that debt. And, you know, he might redo the decision today if, if you know, with what he knows now. But but regardless, it's, you know, the without college is, is not what we were saying at all. It's, you know, can you take the tools that you learn from, you know, Justin from Root of Good or, you know, what Sunwoo is going to put together and, you know, Edmund T is going to you know put together on how to hack college and how to do it and, and come out without a significant amount of debt. Yeah. You know, are there professions where you can get six figures without needing a doctorate? You know, accounting jumps out at me. You know, I was an accountant, you know, now I only needed a four year degree. I think now you technically need a, a master's to get a CPA uh, which is sad that I that I don't know that precisely, but uh, you know, but you can do that in in four years potentially. You know, there are some programs that allow you to do that, or certainly five, and that's not unrealistic to get a to get a CPA. You know, engineers. There are many people coming out with you know engineering degrees that can get significant incomes. So you know, are there ways to do this a little bit smarter than Jonathan's you know hundred sixty thousand dollars worth of debt? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what Jonathan was saying, and you know. What's funny is actually with this comment is it, it it actually brought to mind that radical personal finance episode and and you know th- this comment kind of put it all on Jonathan but I think part of the comment was actually from from me saying you know my wife and I were both CPAs and you know Joshua Sheets kind of came back and said well isn't it easier with you know two significant incomes and you know this kind of talks or touches back on unconventional choices which is. My wife, Laura, has been a stay-at-home mom for the last nine years, and that was, that was an intentional decision that we made that really changed our entire lives, honestly. You know, we, like I've mentioned a couple of times, we're from, we're from Long Island, New York, and, you know, when we got married in 2005, we said to ourselves, like, we cannot live the life that we want to live on Long Island, and we, we just can't, and it would require us to work full-time jobs forever, you know, to afford a, you know, a shack of a starter home in a, you know, somewhat decent town for, you know, 400,000 plus with $12,000 a year taxes on those houses. I mean, that's, that's the norm for what my friends are paying up there. And, you know, that was just not something that appealed to us at all. And, you know, we made the unconventional choice of, of moving within two months of getting married and picking up our entire lives and moving 400 miles south to Richmond, Virginia, where, you know, we, albeit bought a, a nice house, a nice four bedroom house in, in a very good part of town, but, you know, we went out of our way to make the decision to buy a house that we could afford on just my salary, because we were pretty darn certain that we, that Laura was going to stop working and stay at home with, with our kids. And I mean, that was a decision we made years in advance. And, you know, again, that's an unconventional choice. And it, that was not an easy choice by any means. That was a hard choice, but it set us up for this easy life. And, you know, that comes back to that quote I heard on a Tim Ferriss podcast, which is hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. And, you know, the easy choice would have been to stay on Long Island with our family and our friends. And, you know, we would have struggled forever. We would have not been able to reach Phi, not even close. And, you know, we made the hard choice to uproot our entire lives and come down here but knowing, forecasting years in advance of what we could do with, you know, just one salary and still live comfortably. So, you know, I was pretty imprecise on that radical personal finance and made, made it, you know, implied that, you know, Laura and I were both, you know, middle manager type CPAs at, at big companies and, and made a hefty income. And 
that's just simply not been the case. We've been living on one income for the last nine years and and have still reached FI on, you know, nowhere near a, a, a huge income by any means. So, uh, you know, I definitely it, this provided me a really great opportunity to clarify that and, and you know, let the audience know that that sometimes it does require unconventional choices. And and that was not an easy thing for us. But but it's been it really the best choice we could have ever made. And, and also just for the sake of, of plugging something, but I think it kind of goes to this as well. Um, if you go to our, our homepage, which by the way, by the time you see this, the homepage will be completely different than it is, you know, was even a week ago. Um, I've done a total redesign on it. The idea was to really allow y'all to get deeper into the content and help you just, you know, see all the different things that we're putting together. And I think it came out really, really well. But one of the things that is on there and has always been on there is our free book, our free ebook, uh, The Blueprint to Financial Independence. And it unpacks this idea how with the next generation, second generation fire, if you implement the different hacks that we've been talking about and put them into this one single story, you know, you're going to, you could, if you start early enough, so second generation fire, you can be financially independent by the age of 30 without ever making a six figure income, frankly, without ever making more than 35 or 40 grand a year. Uh, it's just completely doable. And so it's not to tell you that that's what you have to do or that if you miss that window, you know, you can't achieve financial independence. It's not the point, but it's to illustrate some of these levers, how they go together and how, if you implement them all, for that second generation fire, they, they're not going to need to earn even $60,000 a year. It's not going to be necessary. Uh, so I, I don't know. I really liked putting that book together. It was just kind of a, a compilation of thoughts that I had, uh, and kind of different things that I'm going to be thinking about as I raise my son. Uh, so I, I think the hope that y'all enjoy that. Just take a look at it. It's only, it's only nine or 10 pages. So it's just kind of a quick read, but I think you'll like that. Uh, we also got a message from, from Ken. And Ken says, hi, I recently discovered the financial independence movement and it's been life changing. I've always been relatively frugal, but by making some of the simple changes outlined by you and your guest, I've been able to optimize taxes, investing, travel and frugal living. These things add up to making five feel like an impending reality. Thank you. And then Ken had some suggestions for a future podcast. He said, let's talk about libraries. And he said some of his favorite library benefits include digital ebooks on Hoopla and Overdrive. He said this is a great way to get ebooks on your phone or Kindle. Uh, travel guidebooks and cookbooks. He used to always buy these and now they never do. Uh, tax preparation guidance, museum passes, kids programs, meeting space and conferences. Ken, I tell you what, if you want to and you feel open to it, you know, if you want to write that up into an article, just kind of unpack those in detail, some of the benefits, I would love to post that in an article on Choose FI to really, because uh, I know how, how many people in the financial independence space love and feel passionate about libraries. I would love, since it sounds like you've really taken advantage of that, just put that together in an article and send it our way. I'd love to feature that on Choose FI. That sounds really cool. And Ken also said, you know, I've heard you guys throw around the 10 fig, ten year figure a lot when talking about the time it takes to reach FI. Uh, well, I think this may be attainable for many of your listeners. It may be unrealistic for those with lower incomes. From reading a number of blogs, it seems like the magic number for comfortable and frugal living is between 30 to 40K per year. Based on the 4% rule, that means reaching a net worth of between 750000 to $1 million. To reach this goal in 10 years, you need an after-tax income of between 90 and 120000 assuming a 5% annual uh, rate of return. While this income may or may not be typical among your listeners, it's certainly above the median income for the U.S. I don't mind hearing the 10-year figure mentioned, but it would be, it would be nice to have in context of earned income. Even an income of 60000 could lead to a working career of 20 to 25 years, which is way shorter than the standard. Keep up the good work. Yeah, and that's that's a great a great comment and great feedback, certainly. And, you know, we're, we're kind of focusing here on 
on criticism because I think it challenges us. And, and you know, this is this is criticism, you know, quote unquote, because obviously Ken is Ken saying a lot of really super positive things here. And and, you know, it, it's it's easy for us to read the the happy stuff, right? Like we get, you know, dozens of emails a week. It's been just honestly, Jonathan, right? Like the most amazing week of feedback we've ever gotten. And it, it just got real accelerating. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, we're, we're like texting back and forth, like, oh my God, did you see that, that email that just came through? It's, it's just, it's been the most incredible week. Uh, but you know, but it challenges us to read this, you know, slightly negative stuff. And, you know, I would, I would call this slightly, you know, uh, but Ken is right. I mean, like, I think one thing that, you know, I hope we have not been careless too much about is, is the 10 year mark. You know, I, whenever I try to say it, I, I say 10 to 15 years and, and realistically for most people, 12 to 15 years is, is going to be a, a much more attainable goal. But, you know, like Ken said, even a, a 20 to 25 year working career is way shorter than the standard, as he said. And, you know, that would put most people decades ahead of where they were going to be anyway, right? I mean, most people, unfortunately, as we see from all these stats of people saving nothing for retirement and being, you know, essentially broke in their 60s and 70s, like most people are going to wake up 40 years from now and be broke like they are today. That's just, that's the sad reality of of the American consumer culture. Yeah. But if you, if you listen to this podcast, if you read articles from all these, you know, many, many uh, financial independence sites, you're going to make those little changes that are going to add up to potentially millions of dollars over a 40 to 50 year investing life. And, and that is ultimately what we're going for here. Sure. It's wonderful to see people who've reached FI in 10 to 15 years, but, but you know, even if you can, to Ken's point, 20 to 25 years is amazing, right? If we, if you could tell me that every single one of our audience members is going to take action on a couple of things and reach financial independence in 25 years, I would take that in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even think about it. You know, that's that's the biggest win possible. Right. And of course, there will be people who reach it in 10 years. But more realistically, you know, 12, 15, 17 years, something like that. Like, that's not too shabby. Right. So, you know, Ken unquestionably brings up good points here. You know, does a higher income help? Of course it does. It, uh, Of course, it absolutely does. I mean, would this be is it easy to reach FI on a twenty thousand dollar a year income? No, I mean, it, it's not. So, you know, are we are, are we maybe tailoring this to people who, you know, like Jonathan said, you know, $100,000 a year sounds like a, you know, when you just say that number, it sounds like an astronomical figure. But, you know, two fifty thousand dollars a year spouses or, you know, partners or whatever, that's not unrealistic. So, you know, in my mind, that's what I'm thinking of rather than the highly paid, you know, 100K a year single employees. So, uh, you know, it's just about perspective. And, and, you know, I think this is a very valid comment for sure. And this is definitely, you know, this is not the show for the, the, the high earners. And I'm not saying there that we do have high earners that listen to this and love it. And, and we appreciate y'all. And, and we hope that you're getting value from this. But this show has always, the focus has always been helping middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time. That, that was it. And I think we have content for, for, for low income America. I think you're going to get benefit from this show. I think this is for you as well. But, you know, the idea has always been middle-class America is working their tails off and then making it to social security. And that's all that they have, you know, that's it. And it could be so much more. The picture can be so much rosier and how many people are getting, even in a perfect world, they're getting to debt free. And then they think that's it. That's all there is. Oh, we're debt free. We're done. Like, there is so much more and we're, we're just trying to next level this for you. We're just trying to unpack it 
and all these cool things that you can do, all the flexibility and the options that are available to you once you reach Phi and as you're on the path to Phi. And yeah, I just uh, wanted to read one really positive email just because this one just stuck out to me. When I read it, I, I instantly responded, you know, we're reading that on the Friday Roundup, so I want to uh, maintain my promise here. This is from, from Talis, and she said, first of all, this is great stuff. I stumbled upon the interview you did with Joshua on Radical Personal Finance and thought I'd give ChooseFI a listen. So glad I did. Soon after I got hooked on your show and I got my husband to listen to you as well, and the result has literally been life-changing. We're 28 and we live in Iowa where the cost of living is already relatively low. However, we always consider ourselves to be more frugal than most of our friends and neighbors, yet had no clear plan for our future. Since listening to this podcast, we've made some big changes to our investments and actually put together a plan on paper for our early retirement. The way you package the material makes it super easy to make changes right away. We appreciate the content and are looking forward to more. Our biggest concern is definitely walking away from the benefits of a corporate job. We hope to hear more about health insurance, side hustles, and other hacks for the self-employed. And she said, P.S. Brad, I just finished your uh, travel rewards course, and we signed up for our first travel rewards card. So, yeah, congrats, you know, from the bottom of my heart for taking action. I mean, this is really remarkable. Uh, you know, Jonathan, I'll throw it over to you. I know you, you love this one. It was really inspiring. That's what I want to hear. You know, I just have this vision. So, you know, the Dave Ramsey people, you you get to, de to debt free and you call and you need to do the shout. Like we need to do a FI shout. And then, you know, what if we're still doing this podcast 10 years from now? Can you imagine a world in which 10 years from now we're still doing this podcast? And forget about, you know, what, what, what target we're saying. Our, some of our audience is going to hit FI within 10 years. Some of them are going to do it in five. Some of them are going to do it at six. Some will be at 10. I mean, it's coming. And what if, what if we get to the point where they're able to do a live call and we're able to have that conversation. They said, you know what? I pulled the trigger. We're, we're there. We're done. How much cooler is that? That is the, <laughs> that would, yeah. that is the coolest conversation right. ever, right? Yeah. I mean, eight, you know, 10 years from now, we talked to Talis and her husband and, uh, you know, they started their path with us and they'll be at Phi. I mean, right. They're in a low cost of living area in Iowa and, you know, are already more frugal. And now they have this plan for early retirement. I mean, geez, that's, that's as good as it got. So yeah, I mean, that, that's a cool thought, honestly, Jonathan, right? Like 10 years from now, people that listen to our first couple of podcasts will be at FI. And, and that's just, that's just fact. Talis, I will build, I will build a section on the webpage for the case study on how you did it once you get there. I mean, we will just, and that would be cool too, right? Looking at different case studies of what people's financial situation was and what levers they chose, which levers they pulled to hit FI. You're going to get this really complete rounded picture uh, right now, there's probably about close to 100 high-level bloggers. And of those high-level bloggers, maybe I would say you know 20 to 30% of them have kind of unpacked the details of their finances and what they what levers they actually pulled to hit there. And you know, But there's so many more people that are doing it. Uh, those are just the ones that chose to document it. And what if we could give you a platform to share that information? And I think that's what we're about. We're, we're really... We just want it. We want to mainstream this thing. I mean, because it should be. It should be mainstream. There's, there's no reason for it not to be. It's so powerful. It's so a correction, and this is not a correction. This is a debate, and it's still ongoing. But Isaac has given me some, uh, some feedback here, and he says Isaac thinks the Roth is the worst place to invest, and he references some articles by Go Curry Cracker. I love it. It's so deep and intense that I'm still having to study it. I'm not ready to make that announcement yet, but I got to say, Isaac, I've been looking at it. 
and uh, mind blown. I don't even think Brad knows what I'm talking about right now. So we're going to have to go both back to the drawing board and take a look at this. But when we unpack it, we're going to do a battle cage match of the Roth versus the 401k versus the other investment taxable accounts. We're going to bring all the information that you sent us plus some other stuff. And we're going to try and unpack for you um, the power of these different buckets and, and you know where you know where you can pull it. I thought I knew all the answers. Isaac, you blew my mind with that last email you sent me. So I saw that. So we'll get that out to our audience over the next couple of months. Um, we also had a comment from Jonah. Jonah says, you know, because you mentioned dollar cost averaging a few times on the show, I wanted to send some dead data your way. Dollar cost averaging massively underperforms lump sum investing. The only reason you should be dollar cost averaging is if you are too leery of putting it all in at once. Or if it makes you feel better about investing, go ahead and do it. But just know it looks like historically you're missing out on about 4% uh, rate of returns. And uh, we're going to do an interview with uh, with Jim Collins later on. And he made a great quote, which I'll go ahead and steal from him and use right now. And he said, you know, one of the things that th they think makes more of a difference, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. Uh, I thought that was really powerful. Um, you know, I definitely think the dollar cost averaging approach is a psychological one more than it is a math one. But, you know, Jonah, thanks for sending that out there. I think we'll all pro I'll probably come to a conclusion over that uh, over the next year or so. And yeah, Jonah, I, I completely understand your point and, and it's a great one. I've read a bunch of those articles. Uh, certainly, I know the mad scientist has has some. And, you know, again, this comes down to math versus psychology. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do here is is not be perfect necessarily because you know humans are flawed animals right we have these brains that that trip us up and i think getting over the psychology for most people is very very difficult you know once you're there then you optimize the heck out of things right like then without question time in the market matters uh and like you say lump sum investing is based on the math is without question based on what i've seen better than dollar cost averaging. It just is. But that said, many people are leery of taking all the money they've saved. You know, maybe they haven't invested, right? And they're just have money sitting in a, a savings account or something. And they're just leery of taking whatever it is, 5,000, 10,000, $20,000 and dumping it all in the stock market on one given day. And, and, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the, the only reason, as you said, you should be dollar cost averaging is if you are too leery of putting it in all, all at once. And, and that is exactly it. But, but you can't discount how important that is for people because most people, if given the choice of dumping it all in and then seeing the stock market, you know, decline 10% over the next three months or just not investing, they will pick not investing. And that's just, that's the reality of most people's situations. So if that means, you know, putting in a thousand dollars a week for 20 weeks and that gets them in the market, well, that's sure as heck going to be a whole lot better 20 years from now than the person who just kept their money in savings for that 20 years. So I think we all can agree on that. So, you know, I look at this as, as, as an exercise in psychology and overcoming, you know, our, our brains weaknesses basically. And, and I know, you know, like I'm always the first one to say, like, I fall down on a lot of this stuff too. And I have these mental weaknesses where I still dollar cost average. And it's, it's ridiculous. Like on a percentage basis of like, you know, the new money that I just moved into Vanguard, like of the percentage of that money to my total amount invested in the stock market is, is immaterial at best. And yet 
and so of course math would suggest just put it all in. It's you know it's it's completely immaterial. But I still dollar cost average. <laughs> did right? you really? I swear I did, and <laughs> and I did it over a shorter period than I normally would have. So at least I'm I'm happy with myself in that regard. That's but like, awesome. but it's still hard. It's just hard. Yeah. And I know, you know, my wife will listen to this and, and, you know, she, she is maybe more adamant about dollar cost averaging. It's just, it's just, there's some weakness that we have when it comes to investing. And, and I, I'm cognizant of that. And I, and I, at least I'm taking steps to just get that extra money into the market because I know it's sure as heck better over a five week period or a 10 week period than just keeping in savings. So, you know, I consider that a success, you know, maybe Jonah would say, that's a half success, half failure, but, but I'm okay with that, you know? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. All right. So next we have our travel reward segment where we uh, pose a couple travel rewards questions from our community to Brad and Ben says, love the podcast. Thanks for doing it. He says, I am planning out my reward strategy for the year. And I had a question regarding the Southwest companion pass. I have had a Southwest preferred card for five years. I want to go for the Southwest Companion Pass as early as possible in 2018 so it lasts through 2018 and 2019. So here's my question. Should I open my first Southwest card in October 2017 so that most of the spending occurs in 2017 but that the 50 or 60,000 bonus mile points will hit my Southwest account in early 2018 or is there some risk to this approach and so I should wait to open the first Southwest card until January 2018? Yeah, this is a great question. Really, really great question. I'll, I'll definitely unpack it in a second. I just wanted to, for people who are new to the podcast, you know, check out our podcast episode on travel rewards. It was episode nine. So you can go to choosefi.com forward slash zero zero nine. Or if you're on a, you know, iTunes or a podcast player, just download episode nine. And we have a lot of resources there. We're really trying to build it out. You know, we have a, a page with, you know, our top credit cards. We have uh, some suggestions on how to get started and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, definitely check that out. That's a really, really good resource. So, okay. Ben is talking about the companion pass specifically. And, you know, this is one of the highest value items in all of travel rewards without question, because what it does is you get this companion pass where you get to bring your designated companion with you on any Southwest flight. That's whether you pay with points or with cash, you get to bring them for free. So, and the cool thing about how this works is once it's, once you've earned it, it's actually good through December 31st of the year following when you've earned it. So for instance, it's, uh, it's March of 2017. Now, if you earn the companion pass now, it would be good through December 31st of 2018. So that's like, 21 months essentially. So naturally, as you can imagine, the the whole trick is earning it as early as possible in a calendar year. So it's good for that entire calendar year and the following calendar year. And the way to earn this is to actually earn 110,000 Southwest miles in one calendar year by one person. Okay, so the easiest way to do that is through these credit card sign-up bonuses, as Ben alluded to. So uh, there are three Southwest cards that have either 50,000 point bonuses most of the year, or currently at the time we're recording this, the Southwest business card has a 60,000 mile bonus. So, and the other two, the Premier and the Plus have 50,000. So let's just say for argument's sake, you opened up the business card and one of the personal cards 
and you hit the bonus requirements, which, you know, they're spending requirements in a certain amount of time, you would automatically get the companion pass because the 60,000 point bonus from the business card and the 50,000 point bonus from the personal card would be the 110,000. Boom, automatically triggers your companion pass and it would be good through 1231 of the following year. So now Ben's question is about timing. And this is crucial. He's asking, is there some risk to the approach of opening it in October and then putting some of the spending on it and then hopefully getting all the points to hit in January? And there is unquestionably risk to this. And I have heard many people, unfortunately, who timed it wrong or hit their minimum spending requirement in the month prior and you know got the 50,000 points in November or December of one calendar year and got their other bonus in January of the following calendar year. And, you know, that's just not good enough because you need 110,000 points earned in one calendar year. So the whole thing is screwed up then if you do that. So, uh, unfortunately, and then, you know, I've also then heard situations where Chase has, uh, and you know, Chase is absolutely wonderful with these bonuses, but it's a little unpredictable when they're going to give you the the actual Southwest miles, whether it's when you hit the minimum spending requirement or after the close of that statement. So, you know, I have some very anecdotal, mo while most people say that the points hit after the statement close, you know, it, it comes anywhere from a couple days to a couple weeks after that statement close when you hit the minimum spending requirement. I actually heard this one anecdotal report in the last couple days about one of our community members who who actually got the bonus points triggered and sent to their Southwest account before the statement closed. And I'd never heard of that before. And that, that kind of scared me. So, you know, Ben, that, that is definitely a concern. So, you know, the worst case scenario would be you plotting this all out and then getting some of the points in December and then the whole, the whole strategy is gone. So to me, the best possible time to do this just to avoid any risk is to open them in, let's say, early to mid December, you know, apply for them. They'll show up a couple days later, maybe a week later, you do your spending and, you know, then make certain that all the points hit in January of 2018. So you'll have it for essentially 24 months at that point or 23 plus months, which, which is remarkable. So, uh, yeah, I mean that, that's definitely my advice is, you know, please don't open it up in October. That's just, that's just too high of a risk in my opinion. And by the way, Ben, I'm going to probably do the Southwest this December with you. So uh, well-timed question. All right. Question number two, uh, Jed says, I want to open some cards and get in on the points. I already have a lot of Delta miles, but nothing for hotels. And we're probably two years or so away from taking a vacation where we could use them. Now, I know a lot of the cards have annual fees. Uh, what's the best strategy for accumulating points before the fees eat away at your margin? Yeah, this is this is a good question. It's it's something that that obviously is important to people, uh, and and you know a long term strategy is important as well. And as far as hotel points, hotel hotel points are really really easy to use. You know, for a lot of people, they like hotel points better than the airline miles because airline miles have, they there are some there are some limits. Uh, you know, everybody hears the the horror stories of of blackout dates, right? And you know what. In most scenarios, that's just finite number of award seats available at like the quote saver level. So, you know, we look at that as many people who, who aren't really aware of the rules look at that as a blackout and, and they think it's a scam, you know, and, and I think that's just misinformation, honestly. But but, it, you know, regardless, it's still a limitation. So 
airline miles are a little more difficult than than hotel points, certainly, because most of the major hotel chains have have a rule where if there's any standard rooms available to pay for, you know, with a regular cash booking, you can use your points to book that room. Okay, so most hotels, except for, you know, the most popular hotels, most hotels are not at full occupancy every single night. They're, they're just not. So that opens up a whole lot more availability to use hotel points. So, you know, that's kind of like definitely a low hanging fruit of the travel rewards world is, is hotel points. Also Southwest, actually, since we just talked about that, uh, Southwest does not have any of those award limitations either. It's just like a simple function of their cash price is how many points it costs. So, you know, for, for families, especially for larger families who need to book three, four, five award seats, Southwest is a really easy way to, to go about this. So, but anyway, yeah, getting back to hotels is, uh, you know, I especially like Hyatt hotels and Starwood hotels because I find their award charts to be very, very reasonable. I know with Hyatt, I often find Hyatt hotels in category one and category two which are only 5,000 points and 8,000 points respectively. Uh, I find those readily available in cities that I want to visit. And, uh, you know, 5,000 points, that that a 50,000 point bonus goes a whole heck of a long way, right? You know, you get 10 nights in a, in a category one Hyatt. And those can be really nice hotels. You know, certainly like the Hyatt Place and the Hyatt Houses of the World, uh, you know, free breakfast, that kind of thing. So we definitely focus on Hyatt. And the easiest way to get Hyatt points is through Chase Ultimate Rewards. So as we've discussed previously, uh, there are cards like the Sapphire Reserve, the Sapphire Preferred, the Inc. Business Preferred. And you can transfer those points from Chase to your Hyatt account. Okay, so uh, from that point on, they become Hyatt points and they are no longer related to your credit card. Now, you know, it is not in any way, shape or form our place to tell you whether to close a credit card or, or do any of that stuff. That's that's not what we're here to do. But, you know, obviously, if uh, if Jed here is worried about annual fees, you know, he has to make a decision, you know, how much value he's getting out of that card. But, you know, if he so chose, he could transfer those points out and they become Hyatt points. And again, they are not related to the credit card any longer. So, uh, you know, that is probably a pretty good long-term strategy for, uh, for Hyatt points, certainly. And with Starwood, there are a lot of very easy ways to rack up Starwood points. There are, uh, actually right now through April 5th, 2017, there's an all-time high bonus on the Starwood Amex, uh, business and personal cards. It's a 35,000 point bonus when you uh, hit all the minimum spending requirements. And and that's the highest bonus I've ever seen in that card. And while 35,000 points does not sound like a, a massive amount, the Starwood award chart is just so fantastic. I mean, you can get category one and two hotels on the weekends. They have lower, lower prices. It's like 2,000 and 3,000 points per night, if memory serves. Wow. And yeah, which is amazing, right? So, I mean, you can get... It's several, it's a week, several yeah, weeks yeah. at the hotel. <laughs> yeah, you can get a couple weeks at a category, a category one hotel, uh, which is amazing from one bonus. And also, right, uh, because Starwood and Marriott are now merged, uh, you can actually take Marriott points and 
transfer them to become Starwood points, okay? Marriott points are worth a whole lot less than Starwood points, so it's actually three Marriott points for one Starwood, which doesn't sound too fantastic, of course, but but in my opinion, I'd rather have 30,000 Starwood points than 90,000 Marriott points. So, uh, you know, that's that's another nice, easy way. There are a bunch of Marriott cards. Like I said, there's a bunch of Starwood cards. So, you know, again, once those points are sent to your Marriott or Starwood account every month automatically from the credit card, they're not related to that credit card anymore. So those are points in your Starwood account at that point. So, you know, then it becomes any account activity similar with, with Hyatt is any account activity whatsoever resets the expiration clock on all those points. So you can keep those points going almost indefinitely, uh, just by any little bit of activity, even, you know, transferring, 1000 points from chase ultimate rewards, which is the lowest amount you can, uh, that would reset the clock on all of your Hyatt points or making one charge on your Starwood card for $2, right? That would, those two points would get sent over to Starwood and it would reset the expiration clock on all those points. So, you know, just, there are lots of very easy ways to keep points going. So yeah, I hope Jed, that that gives you a, a pretty good overview of, of what to do with your points. Those are great answers, Brad. I definitely think that'll be something that'll be useful. And then also, um, so two things to that one, go check out our travel rewards page. And then on that, if you want, there is a, a free Excel file that you can get access to. Uh, and that will actually give you a list of all the transfer partners that we talk about, how to sign up for their accounts uh, individually, which are all free, and the Excel file is free. Um, but once you do that, you can set up accounts for each one of those. So if you need to take advantage of some of those advanced transfer techniques, uh, you should be able to do that. So, okay, uh, well, that's basically comes to the end of uh, today's segment. W- where are we going? What's what's going to be going on with Choose FI here coming up? Well, this upcoming Monday, we got Mad Scientist on. This is going to be episode seventeen. And it was worth the wait. It is fantastic. The podcast that we're going to release on Monday unpacks the story of the mad scientist. It really is an origin story. It is, you know, his mentality, his mindset, kind of what drove him to create the content that he drove, what he struggles with, what he's good at. It really is behind the scenes look at, you know, his life over the last, you know, what is it, five, six, seven years. And he has had such an influence on our community, the fire community, that it is a, a podcast that we were desperate to do. And I think it came out really well. I know Brad was just as excited about it as I am. And I hope you all enjoy it because I don't think that you all will have seen anything quite like that um, out in the podcast arena. Um, also on the Chooseify, I told you about the homepage. Go check it out. Chooseify.com right now. Uh, it's been a completely redesigned homepage. When we initially started, we wanted everybody to hear the Chooseify story, why you needed to take that first step. You know us now, right? So we want to get you deeper into our content and let you see all the cool things that are going on. So that homepage represents that. I'd love your feedback on that. So feedback at ChooseFI.com. Uh, if tested, if something's not working or if you have an idea for how to make it better, I love your feedback. And on the feedback, uh, Swain Stash, which by the way is a great handle. Um, he follows us on Twitter and he has a podcast, Crucible Podcast, and it has nothing to do with Fi. It's a video game podcast. But he suggested that we open a Slack forum. So that is an app that you can use 
to have a conversation with your community while the podcast is rolling out. That's some next level big league stuff. And Brad and I are pretty excited about the idea. We want to make this a community driven show. We visualize a two to three year future in which this is like, this is a full-time thing for us. And we're kind of, because we love spending time with you guys talking about this content. I mean, you hear it in our voice. We love it. And I think we're going to be exploring ideas for how we can get you even more involved than you are now. This isn't going anywhere. Choose if I is going to be here in 2018. And so we want to get you involved and we want to get you involved early. So we're starting to spend more time on our Facebook page. That's a great place for you to actually go and leave your feedback on an episode. I mean, as you all have started to figure out, if you leave us a comment, you leave us anything we can use, we jump on it. I mean, we love your input. So you're like, wow, what are the odds they actually mention my comment? Well, it's pretty darn good because we love your input. On that same, you know, if you have an idea for what next level stuff that we can do to make this community better, let us know. We're interested in that feedback right now. So anyways, all your thoughts, your ideas, your comments, email it to us at feedback at choosefi.com. If you want to get on our email list, you can go to choosefi.com slash subscribe. Or if you're listening to this on your podcast device and you don't have access to, you know, getting on the internet at the moment, you can text choosefi to 44222. Just text choosefi to 44222. And we look forward to growing together. And uh, we're just having a lot of fun with this as we continue to go down the road less traveled. Brad, any final thoughts? Yeah, just to, to echo what Jonathan said, we are loving this. This is really the most exciting project I've ever been involved in. And, uh, you know, we think about this all day, every day. We just, we absolutely love it. And, you know, you guys are the lifeblood of Choose FI. And please, you know, keep the questions, the comments, the criticisms, just keep them coming. Uh, we love it. And, you know, we just cannot do this without you. So uh, another thing I would ask is if you have, you know, the, the personal finance and the FI blogosphere, if you will, it, it, it's humongous. And, you know, we don't know everybody by any means. We don't we don't have the time or expertise to to really research hundreds of blogs, but we want your input. If you if there's someone who's you know a cutting edge thinker or just doing something different or somebody who has a great story, you know just shoot us a real super quick email at feedback at choosefi.com and just let us know. You know send us the article that you think is really great and we can get that person on the podcast and and talk through that that article. You know that's what we're all about here is you know not having these guests come on and just do like the typical meet and greed and you know let's hear two minutes of your story and you know the the typical stuff we want to unpack on a deep level what people are doing that's different and really a game changer so you know you can help us become acquainted with these people and we can get them on and have them explain their story to our entire audience and and in turn the whole community so that is absolutely crucial to us and you know just again to the itunes reviews you know uh that is really the biggest thing you can do to help us is just take 30 seconds go to itunes and just leave us you know hopefully a five-star rating and just a quick one or two line review it is it really means the world to us so uh yeah i mean that's that's my big ask for the audience is you know just keep the feedback coming and and if you do have a couple minutes just just leave us a quick review You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.